Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. So this is the last Sunday before Christmas, and I know that you have all for the last month been reading through the Christmas story every day. And I know that you are so well-versed in it that you are prepared for this morning's pop quiz. Uh, We haven't done this in probably about six or seven years, and... um, so this morning, we're going to see how well you know Christmas. So get out your notepaper there and get out a pen. Uh, I, I know it's a chance you're going to flunk church, and that's really bad. But <clears throat> you're going to 10 questions. So number your papers from 1 to 10, and uh, we'll see how well you know Christmas. <clears throat> so first question, we're going to do multiple choice, five multiple choice, five true and false. So we'll make it nice and easy on you this morning. All right, so here's one, first one. Uh, question number one, Joseph was from A, Egypt, B, Jerusalem, C, Nazareth, or D, Bethlehem. Okay. Joseph was from A, Egypt, B, Jerusalem, C, Nazareth, or D, Bethlehem. And the correct answer is C. He was from Nazareth. All right. Very good. Some of you got that. Okay. Number two. The Magi found Jesus in A, a house, B, a manger, C, a stable, D, the inn. The Magi found Jesus in A, a house, B, a manger, C, a stable, D, the inn. The correct answer is A. It was in a house. They found him in the house. Yes, I know. I know even outside on the sacred ground, we have a manger scene with with wise men there. They were not there. If we were going to be biblically correct, and I strive for this in all of my ministry, okay, but if we were biblically correct, those guys would be like over the hill. They're still like two years away, okay? By the time they got there, Joseph and Mary were in a house. Look it up. Three, Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem by A, a camel, B, a donkey, C, Mary rode a donkey and Joseph walked, or D, who knows? Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem by A, camel, B, donkey, C, Mary rode donkey, J- Joseph walked, or D, who knows? And the correct answer is D, who knows? I know the Christmas cards have Mary on the donkey and Joseph leading it, but there's no record anywhere how they actually got to Bethlehem. Now, she was pregnant, so quite likely she was riding a donkey, but we don't know that for sure. Okay, so the correct answer is D. Um, number four, what animals were present at Jesus' birth? Cows, sheep, and camels. B, donkeys, cattle, and sheep. C, lions, tigers, and bears. Or D, none of the above. Let me tell you again. What animals were present at Jesus' birth? A, cows, sheep, and camels. B, donkeys, cattle, and sheep. C, lions, tigers, and bears. And D, none of the above. The correct answer is D. I know, I know, I know. You can't believe that. And yeah, it was a stable, so maybe there were, but we don't know that. There's no record of any animals actually being there. Cattles weren't lowing, okay? None of that stuff was going on. Five, Mary and Joseph were directed to Bethlehem by A, an angel, B, a star, C, Caesar Augustus, or D, Mary's mother. Mary and Joseph were directed to Bethlehem by A, an angel, B, a star, C, Caesar Augustus, or D, Mary's mother. The correct answer is... C, Caesar Augustus. Caesar Augustus sent out a decree that all the world should be taxed. And that's why they ended up in Bethlehem. 
All right, verse 5, how are you doing so far? Not so good, okay. It gets easier, we're going to go true-false, okay? So you got a 50-50 shot at it on this one. All right, here we go. Uh, number six, magi are eastern kings. True or false? Magi are eastern kings. The correct answer is false. Again, I know the song, but they're magi. That's all we know. We don't know very much about them. We just know they were magi. Doesn't say kings. Seven, uh, true or false? The innkeeper told Mary and Joseph they could use his stable because he had no room for them in his inn. True or false? The innkeeper told Mary and Joseph they could use his stable because he had no room in his inn. Correct answer is false. There's no record of that conversation ever happening. I know. See, you thought you knew Christmas. You were so wrong. Okay, here we go. Um, eight. Mary and Joseph moved to Egypt for a while because Joseph had a bad dream. True or false? Mary and Joseph moved to Egypt for a while because Joseph had a bad dream. The answer is true. An angel appeared to him in a dream and warned him that Herod was about to try and kill all children two years and under. So they fled to Egypt. Uh, nine. Three magi came because they had seen a star in the east. True or false? Three magi came because they had seen a star in the east. Correct answer is false. We have no idea how many kings came. How many kings? How many magi came? There were no kings. How many magi came? We don't know. There's no record of how many. We, people assume three because there's three different types of gifts mentioned, but we really don't know. Uh, and the last one, 10. Myrrh is a spice that is used for burying people. Myrrh is a spice that is used for burying people. The correct answer is true. True. And if you read the account of, uh, in John chapter 19, the women went to the tomb of Jesus with, among other things, myrrh for Pear's body. So, um, okay, now here's, if you missed one of those, here's a bonus question. Okay, number 11, this is for bonus, extra credit. Nice, easy one for you. The birth of Jesus is, re is recorded only in Matthew and Luke's Gospels. True or false? Birth of Jesus recorded only in Matthew and Luke's Gospels. And the correct answer is true. True. Those are the only two Gospels that record the birth of Jesus. Okay. So how many got five or more? Correct. Pretty good. Six or more? Seven or more? Eight or more? Nine? Ten? Woo. How many got the bonus question as well? Eleven. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Give my hand. They know Christmas. So which do you want to preach this morning? No, I'm kidding. We become so familiar with this story, or at least we think we do, that it becomes a little bit just kind of blasé. I mean, we just don't really get into the awe of it anymore. We just, we think we know it so well. It's just been so common to us. And the same thing can happen in our faith. That we can become so um, just blah about our faith that it loses its sense of wonder. That it loses that sense of awe. What does it mean to have God with us? We've been looking this Christmas um, at each of these um, descriptions of Jesus, that he was a king coming to bring his kingdom to earth, like we just sang about this morning. Your kingdom come. He taught us to pray, your will be done. Your kingdom come. That Jesus brought to earth the kingdom of God in a way like number before. And what we saw was it was not a kingdom like any other kingdom. And we are now a part of that. And he came not only to establish his kingdom, he came to rescue us from our own little kingdoms. He came to save us from our sin, and he came as savior and rescuer. And last week we talked about 
on top of all of that, he came to be with us. And the Bible's description of that God with us life that we looked at last week is simply called worship. That's at the heart of what worship is all about. And it's worship. It's that living that God with us life that truly brings that sense of awe back to our lives. So this morning, I kind of want to talk a little bit about worship. And I think the best picture we have in the whole Christmas story is from three very, or however many, very unlikely guys. Because we don't know much about these guys. These three men. We don't know. We don't know how many there were. We don't know really where they came from. We don't really know how long it took them to get there. They're only recorded for a couple of sentences in the whole story. And then they disappear, never to be heard from again. But regardless of who they were or what their whole belief system was at the time, there's something about them that rings all the way through. It's a sense of worship. They come for the purpose of worship. And we can learn some lessons about worship from these guys. Let me read to you the story recorded in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, For this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming into the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. We don't know much about them. We don't know where they came from or where they went back to. But what we see in them is this note of worship. And there's some things about their worship that I think teach us some really great lessons about worship. We talked last week, again, about this God with us life. That we, we were created to live in a relationship with God. And God has now made that possible. And that life is really a life of worship. And instead of um, just kind of getting blasé about the whole thing, I hope this morning to kind of renew your sense of wonder and awe and renew your sense of worship. And what real meaningful worship looks like. And there's a couple of things. Meaningful worship becomes meaningful when I make it a priority. When I make it a priority. See, the truth of the matter is everybody worships. Everybody worships something. You cannot not worship. It is hardwired into us. Anthropologists call it the universal urge. There is something inside of us that, like we talked about last week, longs for meaning, longs for purpose, that, that looks for something that, that, that is beyond us, that looks for something greater than ourselves. It's what we long for. It's, it's hardwired into us. And we cannot not worship. You cannot not worship. A number of years ago, I think it was about nine or ten years ago now, 
You may have read about this in the in San Francisco Chronicle. Um, a discovery was made in Golden Gate Park. And in, in a little grove, kind of off the, the main drag there, in, in the middle of Golden Gate Park, there was a discovery made of this kind of a, this obelisk. And it was about yay high and perfectly shaped round at the top and just so smooth. And, and people were just, they discovered this thing. And it was just like, where did this come from? It was just, it was amazing. And so they actually kind of built a little meditation center around it in that little grove. And people would come in. There was a whole big article about it in San Francisco. Where did this thing come from? Where did it appear? People are coming here to worship and to meditate and all this. And then a couple of days later, they found out it was an old parking barrier that had been removed from somewhere else in the park. <laughs> and people were like worshiping around this thing because it was just so beautiful. And so and it, was, it, it was a parking barrier. But you see, that's what's deep within us. We, we're looking for something to give our worship to. And if you don't worship God, you will worship something. You will worship money. You will worship stuff. You will worship fame. You will worship um, uh, success. You will worship a football team. Because it is within us to worship. So it's not a matter of whether or not we will worship. It's what and who we will worship. And when we make that the priority of our life, because really that's what worship is really all about. Worship literally means worth-ship. It means to apply or attribute value, to give honor or give worth to something. My time, my energy, my resources. That, that's really what worship is all about. And this God with us life is, is, is a reorienting of my life. It's a reorienting of the direction of my life in which it is constantly faced towards God. And that I recognize no matter what I might be going through, God is greater and God is bigger than that. And no matter what else I might worship and what I must give, what I, where else I might give worth and value, God is the only one who is truly worthy of all of that. The Magi come and they say, where is this one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now understand, they didn't just hop on a plane and fly over to Jerusalem. This was a long, arduous journey. And we don't know how, where they came from or how long they, it took them to get there. But we do know that when, when Herod asked them the exact time that the star first appeared, by his calculations, he went back and tried to kill all children two years old two years old or younger, to get this other king that was coming to take his throne. So somewhere in that two-year period between when they first saw the star and when they, when they actually arrived, it, there was a long process in there. There was planning. There was preparation. There was getting things together. There was laying out the map. I mean, there was, all these things were involved. They made it a priority. And I wonder if along the way, as they're traveling along, if at some point one of them didn't turn to the other and say, what are we doing? <laughs> This is kind of crazy. We don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're going to find. We just saw this star and we decided to. But see, it, gave, it became a priority for them. Whatever else they did with the rest of their lives, this one quest, this one journey became the priority for their lives. It's a description of the God with us life. Last week I said, your homework was to try and just this week, however many minutes or seconds you on average spend recognizing the presence of God, to just try and bump that up a little bit. Just try and make yourself a little bit more aware of God's presence in your life. That He is directing, that He is leading, that He is guiding, that He is with you. It's a life oriented towards worship. Romans 12, the message paraphrase, puts it this way. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, 
and place it before God as an offering. This is the true worship that you should give Him. That every day, every event, every activity has the possibility of being transformed into an act of worship if you invite God into it. If you make Him and him, His presence that frame of reference for your life. So how do you do that? How do you, in very concrete, practical ways. Let me give you one suggestion. This week, this week, you'll probably be driving in your car. So get some music that is honoring to God, some worship CD or put it on your iPad or whatever, iPod or whatever. And, and just while you're driving in the car, roll up the windows, turn up the volume and just sing away to your heart's content. Just try that. It's much better than listening to talk radio. <laughs> you notice that? I, I went for a stretch where I was listening to talk radio all the time. And I found my whole disposition became angry. I just, I got to quit listening to this stuff because it just puts you in a frame of mind. Transform your frame of mind. You can do that. And, and just, you know, being in the car all by yourself with all the windows, nobody's going to know what you're doing. Okay, and, and listen, they won't think you're crazy because I have seen people, I have seen people shave in their car. I've seen people put on makeup in their car. I've seen people, I've seen people text in their car, talk on their phone in the car. I've seen people do all kinds of things in their car. They'll just think you're another one of them. But it will change the disposition of your day. It will reorient your life Godward. Just try that. It's trying to practice that God with us life. You heard a story this week. Um, actually, an, an acquaintance of, of my daughter's. And she told this story. She had been in one of the local restaurants um, here in town. And, um, and had kind of a bad night and everything. And, and then on top of it all, got all the way home and realized she didn't have her purse. She called the restaurant and, and called and said, you know, I've lost my purse. I think I left it at the restaurant. Could you please look for it? They couldn't find it. She actually went all the way back down to the restaurant, searched for the whole thing, could not find it anywhere. Went home, thought, okay, I got to get up in the morning. I got to cancel all my credit cards. I got to, you know, I'll get my license renewed. I got to do all this stuff. Just a big, major hassle. And then she got a phone call from someone and said, are you, said her name. She goes, yes, I am. She said, well, I found your purse in a dumpster outside a restaurant. And, um, and I've got it here, and it looks like everything's here. There's no money's been taken. Your credit card's here. Your driver's license. Everything's here. Um, so it's here for you. I, I, how can I get it to you? Made arrangements. They came. She came, and she went to get the, the purse. And I was talking to the person. She said, you know, let me give you a reward. I said, you have just saved me all kinds of money, all kinds of grief, all kinds of hassle. Let me give you a reward. He said, no, 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 that's not necessary. He said, no, 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 let me give you a reward. She goes, no. He said, no, I, I'll tell you what. I belong to a church. And we're doing this thing called adopt a family and we're helping needy families. So why don't you instead of giving me the money, take that money, give it to the church so they can help a needy family in the area. Isn't that cool? Yeah, Isn't that cool. That is, that is a life of worship. That is a God oriented life and it has an impact on the people around you. So this week, Keep working on that, just reorienting my life, making worship a priority, making the knowledge and the presence of God with me a priority in your life. It will make your worship much more meaningful. Secondly, worship becomes meaningful when I make it costly. Costly. Worship, remember, is an expression of worth, which means it's going to be costly. And that's, that's really something because we live in a world that is a use it up, throw it away world these days. There are not many things that are, have great value. 
And the things that have great value lose their value very, very quickly. You can get, you can get this year, not going to tell you where, but you can get a flat panel LCD HD TV 32 inches for less than $300. Now, not too long ago, those things were like in the thousands of dollars. Now, 10 years ago, 10 years ago, our TV died. And, and we have never had a really good TV. So I decided 10 years ago, before flat panels came out, that I was going to save up and I was going to get a really good TV because I, I didn't want some cheap thing that was going to break on me. And so I went out and I bought a Sony Trinitron color TV. That thing weighs 700 pounds at least, I am sure. And I brought it home. I needed to get help. I called some friends, come help set it up and the whole thing. It took two or three of us to lift the thing, get it in place. And now I'm stuck with it. It won't die. And I so badly want a flat panel plasma TV, but I can't justify it because I got this big old honking thing that I spent almost $1,000 for 10 years ago. And I'm trying to figure out a way how to make it fall off the table or something so I can have an excuse. It was so valuable to me. And now I wish it was broken. <laughs> there are not many things in this world that are truly worth what we pay for them. Whether in our time or our money or anything else. There are so few things. And believe me, in this culture, in the area where we live, which is a fairly affluent society, we put value on so many things that lose their value so quickly. And we worship our TVs and we worship our cars and we worship this and we worship that because that's where we put our worth. That's where we spend. That's where we give our time and our energy. And none of it is really worth it. Meaningful worship says... God is God, and TVs are not. <laughs> God is God, and money is not. God is worth whatever I give. You see, there is a connection between worship and giving. They are inseparably entwined. The Magi came, and they come into the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, costly, expensive gifts, which would have made sense if the newborn child king they had found was truly living in a palace. Then those gifts make sense because the gold could be put in, in, in the king's treasury. You know, the, the myrrh and the frankincense, those things, they would make sense in a palace, but they don't make much sense with this peasant family living in a borrowed house for a while. And I wonder if they thought ever along the way, you know, this is a little bit extravagant. This is a little too much. You know, maybe we just give the gold. <laughs> they didn't. They gave it all. There's something about worship that involves giving. Because it's, it's an expression of worth. Why such costly gifts? Such costly gifts because for the same reason, for the same reason a wedding band is made of gold and has diamonds in it. Because when I give that to my wife, I'm saying, I treasure you. I love you. You are a value to me. Worship, to be meaningful, has to be costly. There's a story of King David. 
And he wants to build an altar and offer, offer sacrifices and worship to God. The problem is that the place that he wants to do it, the place that he's called to do it, is a field and uh, land that is owned by somebody else. And he is the king. So he goes to the owner of the land and he says, I want to build an altar here on your land. I want to build an offer, altar and offer sacrifices to God. I want to express my thanks and, and everything to God and I want to do it right here. And the guy said, but you're the king. You can have anything. I'll tell you what, I'll give you the field. In fact, I'll not only give you the field, I'll give you the animals that come with the field. Not only that, I said, I'll, I'll throw in the ox yoke and you can break that up and use that wood for firewood on the altar. I'll just give it to you. You're the king. I mean, after all, it really, it's, it's all under your domain anyway. So I'll just give it to you. And then you can offer those sacrifices to God. And David said these words. He said, I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. So he paid full price for the field and the animals and the whole shebang. Because he said, if it doesn't cost me anything, it's not really worship. If it's not something that I have to personally invest in, if it's not something that, that takes something of me, then it's not really worship. And I'm not going to offer the kind of worship that isn't worship. I won't do it if it costs me nothing. Worship is costly. And it's costly because it's to remind us God is God and TVs are not. And only God is worthy of that kind of worship. The trouble is too often, too often we give out of the leftovers and there's not much left over. When all through scripture, the offerings to God go first. Top, first fruit harvest, biggest and best. Because that's meaningful worship. And worship becomes meaningful when I make it joyful. There's one note that's all through the Christmas story, both in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's. There's this repeating sense of joy. Over and over and again you find it. It says the Magi, they saw the star in the east and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They were thrilled. They had found what they had come searching for. In Luke's gospel, the story is told of, of the announcement to Mary of this new child that she is going to bear, that's going to be the Son of God. And she sings this incredible song. It's called the Magnificat. And the old English King James Version starts with, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Now, that doesn't sound all that cheerful and joyful. And it really doesn't get to the heart of what that expression is all about. And I love the message paraphrase. I think he caught it a little bit better. I'm bursting with good news. I am dancing the song of my Savior God. God the, it took one good look at me and look what happened. I am the most fortunate woman on earth. I think that's a little bit nearer to the song that Mary sang. Joycing, bubbling up from inside. See, joy is at the heart of God's character. Dallas Willard said, you will not understand God until you understand this about him. God is the happiest being in the universe. Now, I've been trying this week to say, how do I, how do I convey this sense of joy? How do I, how do I get people to understand? How can, I, how can I illustrate this? How can I? And I found a YouTube video. And I just want you to get a picture of what joy looks like. Watch this.
Now, you can't watch that without smiling and giggling a little bit, unless you are just got a cold, cold heart. But that is a great picture of joy. And I think sometimes we get so old and dried and blasé that we lose that exuberance of joy. We get beat down by life and we forget what God has done. And it doesn't matter where you're at this morning or how beat down you feel or what's been going on in your life. God is greater than that. He's greater than your difficulties. He's greater than your troubles. He's supremely worth celebrating. The angels announced, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. That God has come to us. God has come to us. He has brought His kingdom down to earth. He has rescued us from the very things that have separated us from Him and established a relationship with Him in such a way that He is with us. Now, I know we're not a Pentecostal church, but we could get a few amens over that, couldn't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God has come to us. So rejoice and worship. In all of his beauty, in all of his splendor, in all of his joy, worship him with all your heart. Bow your heads with me, would you? Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California. Thank you.